This is a collection of stories. Ten classic short stories written over a hundred years ago. Gathered together in a carefully curated anthology. Each story gives a feminine perspective on marriage, its role in society, and the personal beauty and pain that can be found within its bonds. We're talking about marriage from the feminine perspective on this Desideratum. A desideratum is something you desire as essential. I'm audiobook narrator Teresa Bakken, celebrating storytelling as essential with my author and narrator friends. I hope you hear a storyteller you love or find your next favorite wordsmith. Before we get into this story, I recently went to a huge in-person conference the Audio Publishers Association gathered together hundreds of narrators and publishers and producers from all across the U.S. and abroad. One of the sponsors for that conference was Positron, and they are also sponsoring this episode. Positron is an audio proofing platform. I subscribe to their smart rollover plan. The system helps me quickly find where I've made mistakes, gone off script or made a noise that doesn't belong in the audio, like a tummy rumble or a plane overhead. Positron's whole system is designed to help narrators like me and proofers and publishers produce more accurate and efficient audiobooks. I think by enhancing my ability, a human being's ability to tell a story, that Positron supports the art of audiobooks. Reach out if you want to know more. Head to Positron.com to sign up for a demo, start a free trial, and tell them thanks for sponsoring this episode. Okay, back to today's storyteller. I wanted to show different aspects of marriage and relationships from the female point of view uh, and show good marriages and bad marriages and the first marriage to uh, the end of a marriage. This is Christine Mascot. And all of these stories spoke to me in very specific ways about the state of marriage and what women thought about it. Christine selected, annotated, narrated, and published this collection. Out of the 10 stories, eight were written by women and two were written by men. But I thought that those particular uh, stories written by men were um, very astute, uh, really belonged in the collection. If someone looks at the anthology and the stories you've included, they go back into the late 1800s. Yes. I think the youngest one in the collection is over 100 years old. Correct. Well, that's kind of what public domain is. They're older works that are now uh, publicly available uh, without paying royalties or anything like that. So the, it's classic literature. I forget what year it is right now. Anything, I think it's 1929 and before, is in the public domain. That means that you don't have to pay for the royalties to produce it. 
that it is publicly available. There are some works past that date that are also available too. There was some legal things that happened in the 60s with renewals and stuff like that. So sometimes you'll find a later work, but in general, anything before 1928 is publicly available. Yes. And each year that we move forward in the calendar, more years are kind of unlocked for people to play with. Exactly. So you you went looking for stories to play with that were in this category of public domain. And you, I feel like you chose them for subject, right? Like you, other than just the umbrella of marriage, you also were looking for very specific stories about what that entails, the bonds of marriage, love, what love really means to women. And, um, but then you also had to be thinking of them in terms of voice because this was designed from, from its inception, right? To be an audio production. Exactly. And when you're a female narrator, very often you uh, do best with books that come from a female perspective, female POV. Um, so either the, the um, heroine, uh, the book has a heroine that's the protagonist, or it's in first person from a feminine protagonist. Um, and so I had to also find stories that were, had with females as the leads. Yes. When you're looking at older works, they're rarer. So in certain ways, I feel like I'm finding stuff that has been forgotten, some of these stories. And so the first story in the book is by Mark Twain, uh, one of the men. Uh, but it's called Eve's Diary, and it's the uh, Garden of Eden, the Genesis story, but from Eve's perspective. In that story, he terms her as the first wife. And all other wives are descended from her. So I had to start there. An adorable story. Um, and it, it really captures uh, how women love their partner. That's a great place to pause and let you listen to some of this particular story in the anthology. It's called Eve's Diary and was written by Mark Twain in 1906. This is from... Marriage from the Feminine Perspective, published and narrated by Christine Mascott. Thursday, my first sorrow. Yesterday he avoided me and seemed to wish I would not talk to him. I could not believe it and thought there was some mistake, for I loved to be with him and loved to hear him talk. And so how could it be that he could feel unkind toward me when I had not done anything? But at last, it seemed true. So I went away and sat lonely in the place where I first saw him, the morning that we were made and I did not know what he was and was indifferent about him. But now it was a mournful place and every little thing spoke of him and my heart was very sore. I did not know why very clearly, for it was a new feeling. I had not experienced it before, and it was all a mystery, and I could not make it out. But when night came, I could not bear the lonesomeness, and went to the new shelter which he has built to ask him what I had done that was wrong and how I could mend it and get back in his kindness again. But he put me out in the rain and that was my first sorrow. 
Sunday. It is pleasant again now, and I am happy. But those were heavy days. I do not think of them when I can help it. I tried to get him some of those apples, but I cannot learn to throw straight. I failed. But I think the good intention pleased him. They are forbidden, and he says I shall come to harm. But so I come to harm through pleasing him. Why shall I care for that harm? Monday. This morning, I told him my name, hoping it would interest him. But he did not care for it. It is strange. If he should tell me his name, I would care. I think it would be pleasanter in my ears than any other sound. He talks very little. Perhaps it is because he is not bright and is sensitive about it and wishes to conceal it. It is such a pity that he should feel so, for brightness is nothing. It is in the heart that the values lie. I wish I could make him understand that a loving, good heart is riches, and riches enough, and that without it, intellect is poverty. That idea about loving a good heart in future stories that you've chosen, we see how really that's sort of an essential theme feels like an essential part of the partnership of marriage. You would hope that love is there. But it's interesting, too, because marriage back in that time was so much about convenience and protection, um, social climbing and, you know, making the good marriage and bringing the family's social center up. And, you know, there were so other considerations that it's now that you bring it up, it is very interesting that these women wanted love to be in the equation. Value love, love from the heart. And I think Mark Twain is doing that. He's, yeah, what is it that a woman wants? What is she motivated by? And he takes you to this very first woman to try to explore that. Exactly. I love that he attributes so many things to, uh, to women, though, um, through how he treats Eve. I mean, attributing the discovery of fire to female curiosity Right. Than male bravado or whatever. Yeah. Like he obviously really, really likes women. I mean, he's a element of his day, but at the same time, in this particular story, I think he really acknowledges um, that the contributions of women might have been buried, you know? That's such a great point. I'm so, I'm so glad you said that because he does have her naming everything too. It, it's her natural curiosity all of that and the adventure in the he didn't give that to men he gave that to women that's why he got included <laughs> because i felt like he really really you know gave gave women their due in many ways these are short stories these are kind of quick reads but each one of them lands yeah in the best possible way when you talk about the value of short story right like you just get taken by it yeah that's why I, I, you love a good short story, because it's like a big bang for the buck. Um, and a good short story writer knows how to deliver that. And that's so difficult to really capture um, a whole world. I loved each of the stories in their own ways. And I hate to focus next on the, the second one that was also written by a man. But um, I love The Last Leaf by O. Henry. And I propose in the uh, annotation 
that in plain sight, we're actually hearing and reading a same-sex partner marriage story. Yeah. And there are clues to me that indicate that that is what he meant, that I'm not mistaken. And uh, that's why I included a particular story, because it's, it's a love story between two women. And, uh, and it's one is near death's door. And I believe in plain sight, oh, Henry gave us the same-sex partnership story. Yes, I actually really appreciated each one of your annotations. Like you're talking about bang for buck. Your annotations are short, one paragraph sort of introductions. But it, without over-revealing what the story is going to be about, you present its essence in that little, in that little blurb of introduction. It's really those little blurbs are just simply why I chose the story. Because the stories stand for themselves. I don't have to talk about them too much. You just, in little ways, you are, you're guiding the reader to, uh, to what to be looking for, to what to be listening for in that particular story. Each one of them uh, has something a little heartbreaking about them. You know? Mm-hmm. Each one of them has an element of, of sort of, of a kind of tragedy. Is like, did you find that as you were a, a, a compiling them, that each one had a hint of sorrow? Stories kind of do that. You can't have light without dark. And good juxtapose them to get the most out of each. Uh, so, yeah, I think they all do have some darkness to, to be able to show the light or some light to be able to show the darkness. And in, in terms of darkness, one of my other favorite stories is A Jury of Her Peers. Uh, um, and I love Susan's writing. She, she's amazing. Okay, pause. The author Christine just praised was Susan Glassbell, and the story is called A Jury of Her Peers. It was originally published in Every Week magazine in 1917. It is not a happy marriage story. Um... So the premise is that this woman uh, is asked to go with her husband, and her husband is a witness to a, um, an incident. Uh, and there's been a death of a man at his farm. So she knew the woman whose husband died. The woman's been taken away into custody. And she went to high school with her. And so... She goes, she meets the sheriff's wife, and the men all leave the women alone in the kitchen while they search the house for clues. One of the things about that story that I love is the interaction between these two women who come into this other woman's home. I don't know if it's regret. One of them expresses that she wished now seeing inside her home, inside her kitchen, seeing what she sees. I wish I'd come down and visited her. I wish I'd. Yeah. That the natural, the natural response to this tragedy is less about the death of this man and the that she's been taken into custody and like it's less it's less about the immediate trauma that's happening and more about how she longs that she'd been more connected or been more present or you know especially knowing as it seems that everybody kind of knew she was being beat and that her husband was beat yeah, that she was unhappy and that in that unhappiness, she was alone too. 
um, you know, your intro to that story is sort of about how uh, women within the bonds of marriage at this time are not afforded the luxury of even self-defense should something bad happen, right? Like they're just, they are lesser than in that, in that bond. They're property. They're not allowed to own property. They are property um, of their husband. And, and sometimes that did not work out well. Yes, it's so, it's such a good reminder of how through time we've evolved in how we approach partnership of marriage. There are reminders in the writing sometimes that this is written a while ago. Like I, it might be in that story that the word, somebody says flipperty gibbet. Yes. And I thought, well, that's not a word you heard today. So there were little, every now and then there would be something and you had to, you, you dealt with that through narration, obviously beautifully, but it would be a little reminder, oh, the language of this is older, but not, not through the whole thing. Like these are not difficult stories to read. These are not old English. I chose specifically stories that were very accessible to a contemporary reader. I think that's a very good point. The stories themselves feel accessible is the right word, I think, but I, I felt like a, a contemporary um, appreciation. And I had to a couple of times look up and I'd be like, oh, this was written in 1892. I find that for me, that's one of the things that defines art uh, on a general level is that it has a universal theme that it doesn't matter the time or whatever. That's a human thing. And we all get it. You know, art that really works well is art that communicates a universal truth. I always say it speaks a new word into the great conversation of man. You know, I, I feel like all of our, our art, our, our science, our thoughts, you know, from the beginning of, of sentience has added up into this big conversation of who we are, why we're here, what is love, what is God, what, you know, these big questions that we'll never answer, but we love asking and finding new nuances in their answers. And so... I always say that for me, art speaks a new word into the great conversation or it uh, repeats something that needs to be said again in a new way. Um, and stories for me, they do that. They, they speak about universal things that it doesn't matter that they were written a long time ago. We can, we can still get that. Yes. That's beautiful. I love that. That was really beautifully said. Thank you. Okay, I'm looking at my notes because in addition to like typing a bunch, I would then I went back and just chicken scratched all over my notes. The longer I sat away from these stories, the more I was like, oh, let's talk about um, akin to love. This again was sort of about different forms of love. And I think it is kind of a funny little piece. Like in your intro, you say this could be misunderstood. Can you talk a little bit about why you included akin to love in the collection? It's about love that um, isn't even recognized as love by the person who's loving it <laughs> in a weird way, right? Yeah. You know, it, it, love and friendship are very close. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was a realization for the, the main character that, you know, she actually, when it came right down to it, couldn't bear to see the man that she loved in a state of discomfort. Oh, I think as the story ends and the way that the story ends, it's clear to me that they, that they do love each other. 
I think that's also a couple of these stories have this balance between independence and serving another in your love for them. She had her cake and she was eating it too because he was still coming over every night and they were hanging out. They were being friends and she got the best part of him every day um, and he adored her. So she, she, she had that, but she had her independence too until when she realized that the man that she loved was not being taken care of. Um, that was something she was willing to trade her independence for. And that is choice as valid as the choice to remain independent. So for me, the story was all about um, her choice. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking for the other one that is kind of the opposite of that. A woman decides to be unmarried by choice, to let someone go. Another quick pause. We just shifted to talking about the story A New England Nun by Mary Wilkins Freeman, originally published in 1891. Her story is really funny because she went through the whole, all the motions, found a guy, got engaged, and he was not prepared financially to support her at the time. So he goes off to find his fortune. This is seven years later, something like that. He finally goes back. You call it the longest engagement ever in your introduction. Exactly. And in that time, she develops her own routines and her own sense of peace. Exactly. She developed her own routines, her own way of life. She grew as a person, and he did as well, and they grew a little differently. Yeah. Again, it just is, it's so interesting to, to take the lens of today to that. seems like, well, of course, you could just cancel that engagement. But the lens of the time. Exactly. And everybody ends up happy. You know, that's the best thing is, like, at the end. Happily ever after wasn't about marriage. Exactly. Well, it was, but not in the way they thought. <laughs> So good. Um, let's see. Oh, a lady of yesterday. You include a May December romance. Woman is older. Mm -hmm. That one I think really spoke to me because her sort of the way she's moving through the world. You don't know what she's been through. You're not sure what has come before the story begins. We just know her in this moment, and um, I like life's. I think the line is life's sad complexities. She was free of that, and she was just living in the moment. She was. And what she came to after, I mean, obviously, there's an implied tragic past and a lot of heavy stuff that she's been through to come to this place of simplicity. And after all that, the place of simplicity that she comes to, I think is so telling and so wonderful about what really matters and that when love comes didn't even hesitate to snap a bit of, you know. <laughs> yes, yeah. Then she comes to sensuality. Yeah, just beautifully written. And in her conversations with other women, she, she doles out these sort of like lessons about what's important and she lifts them up and what they think is important. And yeah, again, like a lot of bang for your buck. It's a lot packed in that little short story. And I loved like the, the, um, the hero in that room was so like, I don't know, hero-y. Like it's, I, um, I also narrate a lot of romance. <laughs> so that one had a little more of like that romance, romantic feel, which, you know, I think is, in, especially when talking about, uh, you know, feminine literature, romance has always been a, a genre by and for women. It was a more romantic story, I thought, too. I do. And I think you put that one right there where we needed some romantic love, I think. Mm -hmm. And you'll taper down. 
the death and the woman. There's a darkness to the story, even though it's really about this incredible love, like a lifetime of love is what this story is about. But you're in like the last hours of that lifetime of love. Exactly. And the ending to me seems like to definitely go a little like gothic uh, horror story. You know what I mean? So it reminded me of like Poe or something. Um, yeah. Yeah. You actually, you slammed a lot of different genres into this little short story collection, actually. Wouldn't you? I like variety. I, I didn't want to dwell too much. Like I didn't want stories that all felt the same. Yeah. I, I wanted, I liked the variety of it all. And of course, when you start with the first wife, you have to kind of end with uh, the end of marriage some way. And it it's with death. And even though the ending's got that, that slight gothic thing to it, there are passages in the middle. Oh, beautiful. I know. The poetry of the soul of, of those moments, like with the, the person that you have built your life with and that you have loved so dearly and... Um, I think there are a few moments in the story that so capture that. There's something about that story that really captures a lifetime lived together. A lifetime in the language of it is just fantastic. Okay, so can I say one more thing about that last story too? Oh, yeah. I think it's um, kind of uh, interesting about how and what was made because another theme that pops out to me very much is the vigil while you keep watch of someone's dying. It's the first time I said this publicly about this particular book. One of the reasons I had a gap in my schedule that allowed me to pick this to work on is that my mother was dying and she was in hospice. And um, I was her main caregiver kind of at the end. And, you know, one of the things I did while I kept vigil was I edited this book. Um, particular story for me uh, has even a stronger connection to that particular moment creating book because that that feeling when you're when you're spending those vigil moments um, that also was very strong for me choosing this particular story at that particular thank you for telling me that I do feel like stories can uh, help us connect to our own pain, maybe amplify sometimes our pain, and then and then ultimately, hopefully, our... Release. Yes. Yeah, exactly. No, but that's why we tell them. That's why since the beginning of humankind, we have told each other stories to teach. You know, we're supposed to learn from our stories. At least, I, I believe that. I, I think that, you know, that that is oral culture. It's It carries history. It carries ideas that carries um, questions and discussions and the great question. <laughs> yeah, the great conversation. So true. So true. Um, yeah, I think you've just done that so beautifully from beginning to end in this. Thanks. And what a cool, like, just what a cool project in general. And I read on your website that this is, that it's not over. I have uh, done the initial work on the second volume, and it's going to be work from the feminine perspective. There's, there's a lot of things that women back then talked about in terms of women working, what that means. And then there'll be a volume after that that is parenthood from the feminine perspective. 
you've done dozens of audiobooks, right? Like you're an established narrator. And, but this work, this very, what feels to me like a really personal work, like you have taken story and you've, uh, you've put the glue between the story and these little, these things that you've written personally. Um, then you put it out into the world and it's an audio final earphones award, right? It's an audio finalist. Yeah. Like, how does that feel? What do you think about that? Um, I have been doing a lot of romance under a pseudonym. So I created this book for me, Christine, to have it. Um, so it was a little, it was a personal labor of love. It was creating something that had meaning for me and really, you know, didn't expect anything else to come of it. It was also a great experiment to, uh, see what it was, the process was like to publish a work myself. Um, and when I practiced narrating, you know, when I first started, I used public domain short stories to practice. So they were experiments for me started doing them. It was all to practice and to play with my sound and my tech and develop a palette of characters and all that kind of stuff. So for these little experiments to, um, to get so much attention, I'm floored by it. And it's a, a very unusual thing to um, have kind of gotten these accolades from something that is entirely other than the mixing mastering that was done by my engineer husband. Um, the whole thing was, was me. There wasn't a team. There wasn't, there wasn't editor. Like it was me, the whole thing. Um, yeah. The very unusual thing. Normally, you know, if you're an Audi finalist, you've got whole teams of people that worked on the book and, and stuff. So it's a very unusual thing for me to be, uh, kind of in that position get this kind of recognition I'm like I'm floored yeah I think it's a really good message about being a lifelong learner I just like what you just said about okay, I just wanted to see how that worked because you did the cover art you published it you, well, you did all the research obviously like there were a lot of different hats you had to put on for this and it was curiosity about learning something new that put you on that path right See, Twain knew we women are naturally curious. <laughs> yeah, right? I always like to end, usually the final question I give people has to do with the name of the podcast. So I named it Desideratum, which means the desire for essential things. So I like to talk to storytellers, especially about what, and we've touched on a lot of this in our conversation, but if you had to say to somebody, first one I think is most essential, how do you respond? What do you say? I think it's remembering for me, my natural curiosity, everything comes out of just knowing that uh, no matter what anyone says, the only thing we know for sure is that we're here right now. So enjoy this time around because it's all we really know for sure that we get, <laughs> you know? Yeah. We can be spiritual. There can be other things out there, but right here, right now is a guarantee. So live in the moment as much as possible. Yeah, that's a great answer. I hope you enjoyed getting to know Christine and hearing about her experience collecting these short stories into 
the Marriage from the Feminine Perspective anthology. I'll put a link to the audiobook in the show notes. Thanks again to this episode's sponsor, Positron. And as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>